Yeah, this is our Kimodong reading group. We're continuing reading Individuation in Light of Notions of Form and Information. We're picking up from page 336 of the translation. Um, and so we're uh, on the part on collective individuation. Uh, the first chapter of that part, we're going to finish that chapter today and, and start on the next chapter. And so we're we're getting to the end of the book. We just have the the next chapter is a, a short one and then the conclusion uh, and that's the end of, of volume one um, of the the book itself and then we have the um, different annexes in the in the next part of the book in volume two so what we saw last time was Simon Dahl's criticism of what he considers to be two sort of opposite errors um, in looking at the collective and this and the relationship between the collective and the individual um, so these two errors are what he calls psychologism and sociologism. And so he, he sets out this, these two errors in relation to this idea of uh, in-groups and out-groups or uh, group interiority groups and exteriority groups. The, uh, the idea of in-group and out-group is, is probably familiar um, or, or relatively straightforward, um, but the idea is that there's in any sort of collective or any society, you have uh, a certain set of people that that you consider to be sort of one of us or to belong to the same um, in-group as you and then everyone else is outside of that group um, and that, that forms the out-group. And for Simon Don, uh, these two errors of psychologism and sociologism are two ways of sort of collapsing the, the distinction between in-group and out-group uh, and their relations to the individual. Uh, so in psychologism, there's an assimilation of, of the in-group to the individual. You treat, uh, you treat the in-group as sort of an extension of the individual and uh, rather than something that, that has its own sort of uh, proper reality. And then in, in sociologism, on the other hand, you, you treat the, the in-group as a, a sort of smaller model of a, an out-group. You, you assimilate the in-group to an out-group and you, you treat um, society or the social as a, a substantial reality. Um, um, and then the individual sort of is um, subordinated to society as a whole. Uh, and so for Simon Don, we have to instead, we have to start from the intermediate level, but that doesn't mean necessarily it doesn't mean something like a, a social psychology or or psychosociology or something like that, like a mixture of the two. But we start from the individuation process of the formation of groups. Um, so we, in in the individual, there's something that is not individuated. Um, this pre-individual um, reality that that remains within within the, the individual. The, the individuals are capable of undergoing a further process of individuation and, and individuating as a group. Um, and so we have to start from that uh, reality of the individuation of the group and then the psychology and sociology. So the, the uh, individual behavior and, and um, the group, the, so the society, those two extremes are uh, sort of endpoints of uh, the process of individuation of a group. Uh, and, and so this distinction between in-group and out-group is one that is, is actually a, a sort of relative distinction or in the sense that all groups are both in-group and out-group, um, but there's uh, a, 
a sort of um, preponderance of one side over the other, so that some some groups are are more in group uh, than out group, and others are more out group than in group. Uh, and there's also a, a sort of dynamics of this process um, because groups begin as in groups, and uh, as they develop and expand and and sort of become institutionalized over time, they they become more uh, like an outgroup and and more sociological rather than psychological. It's this process that we have to look at for Simono rather than starting from society and, and then asking how the individual is inserted into the society or starting from the individual and then asking how the individual um, forms groups uh, or, or how individuals come together to form groups. So that's the, the main piece of what we saw last time. So we can get started on this reading. So I'll read the first, uh, let's see, I think these are short sections. Uh, well, this one's a bit longer. So I'll read a, a page or so, and then you can pick up from there. Right. So subsection seven, group individuation and vital individuation. It is possible to investigate the signification of social reality with respect to the, to the living individual. Can we speak of individuals living in society, i.e. can we suppose that individuals would be individuals even if they didn't live in society? The example of animal species so shows us that there are cases in which the life of the solitary individual is possible. In other cases, periods of solitary life alternate with periods of collective life. Finally, in a number of cases, life is almost always social, except in some extremely rare moments, courtship, mating. Should it then be said that sociality resides in the species and is a part of, spe of specific characteristics? If this proposition is admitted, we will have to co consider an individual that is not integrated into a social group in an, a generally social species as an unaccomplished, incomplete individual that does not participate in the system of individuation that the group is. If, on the contrary, the group is formed by beings that could be complete individuals by themselves, the isolated individual is not necessarily incomplete. However, the response to this question seems contained in the morphology and physiology of the species. When a morphological and functional specialization intervenes and models individuals to the point of making it improper for them to live in isolation, sociality would be defined as one of the, the characteristics of the species. The bee or the ant is necessarily social because it only exists as a very specialized individual in its inability to live alone. On the contrary, in the species where there is no extremely clear differentiation between individuals that makes them incomplete by themselves, the necessity of social life belongs less directly to the specific characteristics. According to, to ecology or other conditions, temporary isolated life arises or halts. The group can be intermittent. The group is then a mode of behavior of the species relative to the, middle, the milieu or to other species, rather than the expression of the imperfect and incomplete character of the individual being. This is generally the type of existence for societies of mammals. For man, the problem is more complex. There is the somatic and functional independence of the individual as in other mammals. There is both the possibility of a somewhat grouped life and a somewhat solitary life, which is the consequence of this somatic and functional completion of the individual. In these conditions, there can be groupings that correspond to a mode of behavior relative to the milieu. Marx interprets the characteristic association of labor in this sense. But it seems that in addition to this somatopsychic individuation that permits independence or association on the level of specific behaviors, the human being still remains unachieved, incomplete, evolving individual by individual. There is no specific behavior that is sufficient for, for responding to this becoming that is so strong that 
while having a somatopsychic achievement at least as perfect as that of other animals, man resembles a very incomplete being. It is as if, above a first specific individuation, man sought another individuation and required two individuations consecutively. Recognized as living in the world, man can associate together to exploit the world, but something, something is still lacking for man. There is still a void to fill, something that has yet to be accomplished. Exploiting nature alone is not enough for man. The species facing the world is not an interiority group. Another relation is required to make each man exist as a social person. And for that to come about, there must be the second genesis, i.e. the group individuation. After having been constituted as a complete being, man once again enters into a calling of incompletion in which he seeks a second individuation. Nature or man face to face with nature are not enough. There still remain forces and tensions that go further than the group face to face with nature. This is why man thinks of himself as a spiritual being and to a certain degree, the notion of spirit is perhaps mythical insofar as it leads to the substantialization of the spirit and to a somatopsychic dualism. In addition to functional groups, which are like animal groups, or in addition to the functional tenor of groups, there is something hyperfunctional in groups, specifically their interiority. This interiority creates the human individual a second time, recreates him through his existence as an already biologically individuated being. This second individuation is the group individuation, but it is not at all reducible to the second group, i.e. the exploitation of nature by associated men. This group, which can be called an action group, is distinct from the... Nothing moreover proves that human groups are the only ones to possess the characteristics we define here. It could be that animals include a certain coefficient that corresponds to them when the sorry that corresponds to what we are seeking as the basis of spirituality in human groups, albeit in a more transitory, less stable, and less continual way. In this opposition of human groups to animal groups, here we are not taking animals as being veritably what they are, but as responding, perhaps fictitiously, to what is the notion of animality for man i.e. the notion of a being that has relations regulated by the character. It is then possible to call the human social group a group whose basis and function would be a specific adaptive response to nature. This would be the case for a labor group that would be nothing but a labor group, if such a thing could be realized in a pure and stable manner. Social reality thus defined would remain on the vital level. It would not create the relation of group interiority unless one accepts the Marxist schema of the conditioning of superstructures by the... Right, so... Um, here we have um, some different possibilities for the relationship between um, between uh, the individual and the group. Um, so there are certain animals that are um, that are solitary in general. So the 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 individual um, doesn't have any um, relation to to other individuals uh, for most of its lifespan. Um, there are other animals that um, live in a society, uh, but um, they do so in uh, in the sense of they sorry they 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 are involved in a society in um, in a way that requires some sort of physiological adaptation to that society. So th the case, especially of social insects um, like bees and ants and and termites, um, so the different uh roles within these insect societies um are have physiological specializations um uh and then there's also the case of um animals that live in societies 
but that don't have um, physiological specializations for for those societies. And so this is more often the case with mammals. Um, you can look at, uh, I don't know, chimpanzees or elephants or, um, um, oh, interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, so some uh, some elephants in West Africa are largely solitary. I, I did not know that. Um, I know that other other types of elephants live in groups um, um, and have um, a pretty uh, intricate social structure. So um, yeah, that's interesting. So I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if they're different species of elephants or if it's just um, like uh, uh, a sort of um, difference of different populations in terms of like what sort of social life they have. Um, um, but yeah, so there's this variation of different um, possibilities of relations between the individual and the the, the collective. Uh, and so the question for Simon Don here is what um, how to characterize the human relationship between the individual and the collective. Um, and so on the one hand, of course, humans don't have a physiological specialization uh, in the way that um, ants, or, or bees do. Um, so uh, that type of society is, is, is excluded. Um, but um, the other type of society, the, the mammalian society in which you have uh, individuals that are um, sort of physiologically self-sufficient uh, and uh, are associated um, in, in societies of, of uh, individuals that are not specialized um this is also not quite um not quite what the human society uh, or the human collective looks like either um there's a sort of um incompleteness to the individual human being that that simon don points out here uh so um when you when you think of like someone who's shipwrecked uh and you know, trapped on a, a desert island or or something like that. Like this, this is obviously um, not a, a normal case of human uh, uh, life or human um, flourishing or whatever term you want to use. Um, this, this is a, a sort of accidental case and uh, generally one that humans experience as being very painful and uh, hard to live with. Um, so the the standard situation for humans, of course, is to live in a society and uh, not not being in a society is something that most humans find uh, hard to hard to live with. Um, so um, the this character of incompleteness to the human being or this um, felt need for society um, is uh, is something um, Somewhat different than the uh, association of of mammals, um, the the more general association of mammals, um, and um, as a result of this, Simondo thinks that we can't uh, we can't define the uh, groupings of human beings or collectivities of human beings in terms of the relationship between the human and uh, external nature. Um, and, and this is how he, he takes Marx's notion of labor to be understood. Um, so this would be um, the, the human relationship to, na to nature, um, human beings 
appropriate um, natural substances and work on uh, nature in various ways to produce uh, goods and, that satisfy our needs. Um, and, and so this um, picture of uh, the human grouping of uh, a labor group is uh, the one that Simondo thinks is, is sort of misleading um, because it doesn't seem to account for the necessity of uh, grouping humans together. Um, you can make some sort of argument that uh, humans are associated um, you know, it, out of some sort of utility or something like that, that um, they they find um, that working together is more efficient or or something like that. But um, it it doesn't account for that uh, incompleteness of the human being. Um, and yeah, and then there's a question about um, so associations based on labor are more mammalian than human for Simondon. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, so uh, in a sense, or if we understand labor in the sense of um, humans appropriating from nature, you know, products that they need to to satisfy their needs or something along those lines, if we, if we take labor to mean um, uh, a relationship between uh, the human and nature, then uh, it would be something closer to these mammalian societies rather than uh, uh, a more um, properly human society in the way that Simondon understands it. Um, but I think he's going to also um, suggest that we should understand labor um, uh, not just as something, um, um, so not just a relationship between um, humans and nature, like he, he gives the example of uh, a little bit later in this section of um, uh, the surgeon. Um, the the surgeon uh, performs labor uh, in a sense, but not on external nature, but, but rather on a, a human being. Um, actually, I think that was a little bit, I think that was um, in a previous section. Um, but yeah, um, so he's going to um, sort of problematize that notion of labor uh, as the relationship between human and, and yeah, yeah. So um, there definitely would be, uh, it, it would not be um, expected to find a group that would be associated purely based on labor. Um, uh, so yeah, like, like you pointed out here, the harvest festivals, um, it, it, it's a situation where you have some sort of um, uh, labor-related, um, uh, um, I don't know, ceremony or or occasion, um, but then there's also the this trans-individual component um, uh, in that there's a, a religious aspect to these celebrations in many societies, um, and even um, maybe a simpler example is uh, you find in any situation. Um, or in many situations, at least, um, where you have a group of workers, they they come up with, um, I don't know, things like work songs or some sort of um, um, pattern of working together that is not just um, sort of a, a utility um, um, maximizing operation or something like that. It's not just that they sort of associate together because it's um, a better way of appropriating products from nature, it's that they 
uh, in their work together, um, they they have some sort of um, bond or or social relationship to each other. Um, so the labor is is both a relationship to nature and to other human beings. Um, uh, so it's it's it has both aspects to it, and and ultimately the, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't treat those aspects as like two separate uh, two separate aspects. Um, the 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 two sides are are sort of joined together uh, for Simone. I can read the next uh, page or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just finding where we are again. Um, yeah, go ahead. Are we at? But it is precisely. Uh, yes. Okay. But it is precisely a question of knowing if one can treat the other types of groups and the other contents of group life as superstructures with respect to this unique infrastructure. There are perhaps other infrastructures than the exploitation of nature by men in society, other modes of relation to the milieu, than those that pass through the relation of elaboration, i.e. through labor. The very notion of infrastructure can be critiqued. Is labor a structure or indeed attention, a potential, a certain manner of being connected to the world through an activity that calls for structuration without itself being a structure? If it is admitted that socio-natural conditionings are multiple on the specific level, it is difficult to extract one of these conditionings and to assert that it has the value of a structure. Perhaps Marx has generalized a real historical fact, i.e. the dominance of this mode of relation to nature, that labor is in the human relations of the 19th century. But it is difficult to find the criterion that allows for this relation to be integrated into an anthropology. The man who works is already biologically individuated. On the biological level, labor is like the exploitation of nature. It is a reaction of humanity as a species, a speciated reaction. This is why labor is so permeable to other inter-individual, inter-individual relations. It does not have its own resistance. It does not produce a second properly human individuation. It is defenseless. It is defenseless. In himself, the individual remains a biological individual, a simple individual, a determined and already given individual. But above these biological, biologico-social, and inter-individual relations, there is another level that could be called the level of the trans-individual. This is what corresponds to interiority groups, to a veritable group individuation. The inter-individual relation goes from individual to individual. It does not penetrate individuals. Trans-individual action is what makes it such that individuals exist together as elements of a system that contains potentials and metastability expectation and tension. Then the discovery of a structure and of a functional organization that integrate and resolve this problematic of incorporated eminence. The trans-individual passes into the individual as though from individual to individual. Individual personalities are constituted together by overlapping and not by agglomeration or by a specializing organization, as in the biological grouping of solidarity and division of labor. The division of labor imprisons the biological unities, i.e. the individuals, into their practical functions. The trans-individual does not localize individuals. It makes them coincide. It makes individuals communicate through significations. Relations of information are what is primordial, not relations of solidarity and functional differentiation. This coincidence of personalities is not reductive, for it is not founded upon 
founded on the amputation of individual differences or on their utilization toward ends of functional differentiation, which would imprison the individual and its particularities, but on a second structuration based on what the biological structuration that forms living individuals still leaves unresolved. It could be said that biological individuation does not exhaust tensions which have aided in its constitution. These tensions pass, sorry, these tensions pass into the individual. They pass into the individual from the pre-individual, which is both milieu and individual. It is precisely based on this position of the unresolved in man within this not yet individuated charge of reality that man seeks out his fellow man to form a group in which he will find presence through a second individuation. In man and perhaps also in animals, biological individuation does not fully resolve tensions. It leaves the problematic latent, subsistent. That is to say, uh, sorry, to say that life is that which carries spirit is not to express oneself correctly. For life is a first individuation, but this first individuation has not been able to exhaust and absorb all forces. It has not resolved everything. We have movement to go ever further, as Malbranche said. In fact, we have tension and potentials for becoming other, for recommencing an individuation that is not destructive of the first. Right. So this this bit is um, should be pretty familiar by now of um, his uh, his notion of um, this pre-individual reality that remains behind in individuation uh, at the vital level um, and allows for. Um, uh, this collective individuation of the human to occur. And he, he also leaves open sort of the possibility that this occurs in other animals as well, which is interesting. Um, and um, he, he, um, um, he sort of clarifies um, earlier um, that when he talks about animals here, he's talking about a sort of mythological representation of animals um, as as entities that um, are sort of um, governed by nature, um, and um, so this this is a representation of what uh, animality is for the human being, rather than what animality is as such. Um, but um, yeah, so it's this um, this remainder of uh the pre-individual that uh sort of uh remains behind in the individuation process that serves as a foundation for um the second individuation uh that takes place in the collective um and yeah this is an interesting comment from from angus again um so I think it must be the case that not all action groups are interiority groups if a criterion of the trans individual um is the preservation of individual differences. Um, I think, um, hmm. I think the interiority group um, is formulated in, in a way, or is structured in a way that it, it has this um, overlapping of personalities as Simon Don described it here. Um, so it it incorporates the the individuals, um, but it doesn't sort of subordinate them in the way that um, certain uh, depictions of like 
you know, society as a whole, um, as a sort of uh, overarching principle that that governs individuals. Um, so individuals constitute the group at the same time as as they are constituted by it. Um, um, so in connection with action groups, um, I think, um, well, I mean, all groups are, are both interiority groups and exteriority groups. So um, an action group would necessarily have to be uh, an interiority group. But um, the question is whether it's, it's sort of a predominance of, um, um, of interiority group over exteriority groups. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that's right. I think we can have, um, I think, I think the, when we talk about the trans individual, I don't think there's, um, a sort of, um, ethical decision built into that notion. Um, so it, it doesn't mean that a group formed, um, on the basis of this, uh, collective individuation that Simon Don is talking about is necessarily going to be like a, a good group in some ethical sense or political sense or or any um sort of normativity um, um i think it's possible to talk about like the collective individuation of the nazi party in 1930s germany for example um and uh the way that they uh you know how the individuals were sort of um incorporated into that group and and how the group was made up by those individuals um so i think i think I, I don't think the notion of collective individuation has this sort of um uh normativity built into it um but um yeah that's uh, an interesting question that simon doesn't really um specify um yeah um let's see was there anything else to uh, to go over in this um reading i think uh, it was relatively straightforward um yeah maybe actually one point um is um when he talks about um the this notion of superstructure and and infrastructure or or superstructure and base um so this is a, a sort of classical marxist um uh set of concepts uh so according to which there's the economic base uh, of society uh, is what determines in the last instance um, the the different um, uh, changes in the superstructure, so including uh, legal relations and politics and ideology as the different um, domains of, of the superstructure. Um, and uh, so what, what this uh, essentially means is that um, uh there's uh the the economic base is made up of the productive forces and the relations of production so there's um uh both the the actual um direct appropriation from nature uh and then there's also the social relations that make up the uh the uh relations of production within the economic base uh and then these are um in some sense, conditions for the um, the political and uh, legal relations in that society, and then uh, ideology is a, a sort of further layer on top of those. 
Um, and so Simondon criticizes this. Um, well, first, the idea that um, the uh, relationship with nature would be the infrastructure. Um, and then second, the idea that there is um, something like an infrastructure at all. Um, and uh, he he suggests that uh, labor um, or, or the relationship between uh, humans and nature in appropriating um, products from nature um, should be understood as a, um, a sort of structuring activity rather than a structure itself. Um, so it's um, it's something that requires um, that brings about uh, a structure rather than something that is itself a structure, um, and and so this is I think just a, a an instance of Simon Don's general um, uh, position of of trying to uh, treat categories genetically uh, in terms of uh, a genesis. Uh, so. Here, labor is uh, should be understood as um, something that brings about structure uh, that that uh, um, constitutes the the genesis of a structure rather than something that is a structure itself. Uh, so, if, if that's the case, then we then we wouldn't be able to treat labor um, or or um, uh, the appropriation of products from nature as um, as a, an infrastructure that would determine other aspects of uh, society. Okay, so we can go on to the next bit. Um, let's see, we're at this force is not vital, right? Uh, yes. Okay, um, yeah, I can read um, the next bit. This force is not vital, it is pre-vital. Life is a specification, a first solution, complete in itself by leaving a residue outside its system. It is not as a living being that man carries him, sorry, that man, uh, there's a grammatical error here. Uh, it is not as a living being that man uh, carries with him what individuates spiritually, but as a being that contains something pre-individual and pre-vital in it. This reality can be called trans-individual. Its origin uh, is neither social origin nor individual. This reality is deposited in the individual, carried by the latter, but it does not belong to the individual and is not a part of the individual's system of being. We should not speak of the individual's tendencies that carry it toward the group, for these tendencies are not properly speaking tendencies of the individual qua individual. They are the non-resolution of potentials that have preceded the genesis of the individual. The being that precedes the individual has not been individuated without remainder. It has not been totally resolved into individual and milieu. The individual has conserved the pre-individual with it, and all individuals together thus have a sort of unstructured ground based upon which a new individuation can occur. The psychosocial is trans-individual. It is this reality that the individuated being carries, this charge of being for future individuations. This pre-vital charge should not be called élan vital, since it is not exactly in continuity with vital individuation although it extends life, which is a first individuation. As a bearer of pre-individual reality, man encounters in another, sorry, uh, man encounters in others, another charge of this reality. The emergence of structures and functions that can occur at this moment is not inter-individual, since it contributes a new individuation that is supposed, superposed on the older one and goes beyond it, linking several individuals into a group that is born. In this sense, it could be said that spirituality is marginal relative to the individual rather than central, 
and that it does not establish a communication of consciousnesses, but a synergy and shared structuration of beings. The individual is not just the individual, for it is also the being's reserve, which is not yet polarized, but which is available and lies in wait. The trans individual is with the individual, but is not the individuated individual. It is with the individual according to a more primordial relation than belonging, inheritance, or the relation of exteriority. This is why it is a possible contact beyond the limits of the individual. To speak of the soul is to overly individualize and overly particularize the trans individual. The impression of surpassing individual limits and the opposite impression of exteriority that characterize the spiritual have a meaning and find the foundation of the unity of divergence in this pre-individual reality. The divergence of spiritualities, transcendence, and immanence is not a divergence within the trans-individual itself, but a divergence with respect to individuated individual alone. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Angus has posted a comment um, that there seem to be two trans-individuals, the, the trans-individual that is any interiority group and the trans-individual that requires the ordeal of solitude and is characterized by sainthood, heroism, uh, and um, the other one was uh, uh, wisdom. Um, um, so maybe the second form of the trans-individual corresponds to something like uh, authentic being with in Heidegger and could be seen as a, a sort of normative standard. Um, yeah, I think there's at least, whether, the, whether we want to say there's two trans-individuals or there's two sort of sides to the trans individual um, because, yeah, so there's the trans individual as something that uh, is sort of the foundation for any interiority group um, and um, is, is sort of um, uh, widespread in the sense that it, um, it occurs throughout human uh, social grouping. Um, so there's that side or that aspect of the trans individual. And then there's also the trans individual that um, is this sort of rare formation of a collective uh, individuation. Um, and it requires this, this ordeal of solitude that he's described. Um, and uh, um, so it seems like, it seems like those two, two aspects of the trans individual um, have to be kept distinct uh, on the one hand, but then also they they shouldn't be taken as as sort of um, independent either. Like in some way that Simonon doesn't really make clear, it seems that the um, the second form of the trans individual, the one that um, is you know part of this experience of, of solitude and um, um, that uh, is is the the property or the the characteristic of of these saints and heroes uh, and sages. Um, this notion of the trans individual is, seems to be in some way more fundamental or or more authentic um, is maybe the the right word um, as as Angus put it in the chat. There, um, there's something about it that um, grasps the trans individual in a way that is. Uh, better or more, um, uh, uh, a fuller way of grasping the, the trans individual, whereas in uh, the more sort of widespread notion of the trans individual, it, um, it sort of is there, but is not fully grasped or is not fully um, uh, manifested or something like that. Uh, yeah, so 
this is one point where Simonon doesn't really um, explain what the relation is between these two sides or these two aspects of the um, and maybe I'll also um, mention briefly so he he um, he in passing as that we shouldn't call this um, uh, pre-vital charge or this uh, pre-individual reality that remains with the individual um, we shouldn't call it an elan vital um, and and this is a term from from Bersan, uh, who who has this famous idea of um, evolution as being sort of driven by this force um, that um, sort of pushes life into uh, into a specialization of different kinds um, rather than being um, a, a purely mechanical process. There's a sort of um, there's a something driving evolution forward uh, for Bergson. Um, and so Simon Don, um, he says that we, we shouldn't use this term Elan Vital for this uh, pre-individual reality because um, it's, uh, he says, it's not exactly in continuity with vital individuation, although it extends life. So it's not, um, it, so the vital individuation um, captures a, a certain portion of this pre-individual reality and individuates out of it. But the um, collective individuation that we're talking about here is not just an extension of that first individuation. It's a, a new sort of um, descent into the, um, the pre-individual reality to form a new individuation. Uh, so you're, you're individuating something uh, more than what was individuated already in in vital individuation yeah and then so yeah the this idea of um how the being's reserve is not yet polarized um we can uh, connect this back to the idea of uh emotion being the sense of uh, or polarization of action in the trans individual um i think that's right i think um this notion of polarization is one that he comes back to in a few different uh, levels uh, or a few different domains. Um, so yeah, in the case of emotion, but also when he talked about tropism um, in uh, in sensation. Uh, so uh, sensation for Simon Don is always um, uh, a sort of uh, orientation of the organism with respect to a, polar a polarization in its environment. Um, and And so, this uh, polarization is a is always a secondary phenomenon. Uh, it, it is a, a product of an individuation um, out of something pre-individual that is not yet polarized. Uh, so it's only in a second phase or a second um, step of uh, the the reality um, under discussion that that something like a, a polarization appears. Uh, yeah, and then the question about so the interiority can also be the whole. Um, hmm, I'm not sure if Simon Don really wants to use the term uh, whole. Um, I think I think he wants to um, sort of keep this distinction between um, between the in group and the out group. Uh, so there's always this um, sort of relativity of the collective uh it's always it's always an in-group for some out-group and an out-group for some other in-group um 
and and so uh, a notion of of the whole would sort of require some sort of most external group like a uh, if we talked about the whole or um the uh the sort of universal society it would be something like a, a society that wouldn't have an out group and and i think for simondon this is um uh something that we we should avoid um thinking of and, and he he also criticizes in a an earlier passage this idea of um uh, a sort of universal society um uh or um on the the other side of it would be like the atom of society so the individual without um um without uh uh social uh yes so he, he does he does mention these extreme cases like uh saint francis of assisi who um for whom the the in-group expands to include uh all of creation um so even the animals are are um uh, part of the in-group. Um, so yeah, that, that might be um, a sort of exceptional case, but I think, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure how he would um, say, how he would put it exactly, because the the in-group should still be an out-group from another um, perspective or another side, um, but uh, if the in-group expands to, to cover the whole of creation, then it's hard to see how it would also be Okay, so let's um, go on to the next subsection, uh, subsection eight, if someone else would like to read. I can read again. Pre-individual reality and spiritual reality, the phases of being. <clears throat> the very notion of a psychosomatic unity is not completely satisfying, and we recognize this insufficiency of organismic theory without being able to say what it consists in. However, it in fact seems that the insufficiency consists in this overflowing of pre-individual reality with respect to the reality of the individual. The individual is only itself, but it exists as superior to itself, since it carries with it a more complete reality that individuation has not exhausted, and that is still new and potential, i.e. animated by potentials. The individual is aware of this fact of being linked to a reality that is over and above itself as an individuated being. <clears throat> Excuse me. With the mythological reduction, one can make of this reality a daimon, a spirit, a shani, a soul. One then sees in it a second individual that doubles the first, watches over it, and can constrain it lives on after it as an individual. By accentuating the aspect of transcendence, one can also find in the same reality, the testimony for the existence of a spiritual individual exterior to the individual. All these various expressions used for naming the spiritual reality are expressions of the expressions the individual translates for consciousness and conduct so as not to feel alone inside himself, to not feel limited as an individual to a reality that would be nothing but himself. The individual begins to participate by association within himself before any manifested presence of some other individuated reality. Starting from this first feeling of possible presence, the search begins for this second fulfillment of the being that reveals the trans individual to it by structuring this reality carried within the individual at the same time as other similar realities and by means of them. 
one can speak neither of the eminence nor transcendence of spirituality with respect to the individual. Uh, for the veritable relation is that of the individual to the trans-individual. Uh, the trans-individual is what is on the outside of the individual as well as inside him. In fact, the trans-individual, insofar as it is not structured, traverses the individual. It is not in topological relation with the individual. Eminence or transcendence can only be said with respect to the to individuated reality. There is an anteriority of the trans-individual relative to the individual that prevents defining a rapport of transcendence or eminence. The trans-individual and the individuated do not concern the same phase of being. There is a coexistence of two phases of being, like the amorphous ice in a crystal. This is why the group can seem like a milieu the group personality is constituted on a ground of pre-individual reality that includes after structuration, an individual aspect and a complementary aspect of this individual. The group possesses an analog of the soul and an analog of the body of the individual being. But this soul and this body of the group are formed by the reality provided before any splitting by the individual beings. Collective consciousness is not formed by the joining of individual consciousnesses, no more than the social body arises from the joining of individual bodies. Individuals carry something that can become collective but is not already individuated in the individual. Uh, the union of individuals charged with non-individuated reality, bearers of this reality, is necessary for the individuation of the group. This non-individuated reality cannot be called purely spiritual. It splits into collective consciousness and collective corporeity as structures and limits that determine the individuals. The individuals are both animated and determined by the group. Purely spiritual groups cannot be created without bodies, without limits, or without attachments, like that which is individual. Like that which is individual, the collective is psychosomatic. If successive individuations become rare and less frequent, the collective body and the collective soul increasingly separate, despite the production of myths and opinions that keep them relatively paired together. Whence the aging and decline of groups, which consists in a detachment of the group soul from the group body. The social present is no longer an integrated present, but an erratic one. It becomes insular, detached, just as the awareness of the present in a person of old age is no longer directly linked to the body, is no longer inserted in the body, but sustains itself as sustains itself in an indefinite iteration. One can assert that there is a relation of the collective and the spiritual, but this relation is neither on the level of the inter-individual nor on the level of the natural social. If by natural social one means a collective reaction of the human species to the natural conditions of life, for example, through labor. The second paragraph seems to relate back to, I think it was either in the last reading or the one before that, where he suggested that the uh, interiority group kind of perpetuates itself by adding 
the pre-individual share or incorporating the pre-individual share from new members. And maybe this description of the group soul detaching from the group body is what happens when that doesn't, uh, that, you know, process of the addition of uh, something new doesn't happen. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, I think, I think, um, he's so he's he's bringing back this notion of phases of being um that that we saw in the introduction to this book um many months ago now um uh so this is the idea of um being uh the pre-individual being as um uh above unity um and then the uh, splitting of that pre-individual being into separate phases um and uh this um this trans individual reality uh that that appears in the human being uh is is a sort of um recollection of of the pre-individual being or it's the remainder of that pre-individual being that stays with the individual through uh through its individuation um and um i think I think you're right about that um that second paragraph um, yeah, but um he's also bringing back here some of the stuff we saw a little while ago about um imminence and transcendence uh and how the trans individual can't be described as either imminent to the individual or transcendent beyond the individual um, so there's um um the he he says that we can't um the trans individual is not in topological relation with the individual so you can't say that it's either within or or outside of the individual it's it sort of um traverses the boundary of the individual um yeah and this notion of uh the soul and body of the of the group um um there's a so the, the group has a psychosomatic reality in the same way as the individual does. Um, so the individual um, has a psychosomatic reality, not in the sense that the individual consists of a soul and a body, but rather that um, there's this sort of uh, immediately psychosomatic or somatopsychic reality, this intermediate level of reality that only um, sort of uh, in extreme cases can can uh, turn into something purely somatic or, or purely psychical. Um, and so likewise in the group, you would have, um, the, this psychosomatic level or, or this, um, psychosomatic reality, this immediately psychosomatic reality, uh, as, as what is primary. And then only, uh, in sort of extreme cases, you would end up with something like a, a soul of the group, uh, separate from the, the body of the group. Uh, and and he um, characterizes these these extreme cases as being cases of uh, a sort of degeneration or um, uh, senility of a group. So a group um, can only remain um, youthful or um, uh, vital in the sense of being uh, like a, a living group that is still um, active. It can only remain uh, vital in that sense by um taking on the pre-individual reality of 
uh, of its members and and undergoing a further process of individuation. Yeah, I think um, yeah. So we can we can connect this back to when he talks about evil as um, something outside of the of the individual. Um, so this depiction of uh, temptation by the devil or some sort of being outside of oneself. Um, um, when you when you sort of give in to temptation, you find yourself in um, a different kind of uh, register of reality that uh, is not um, uh, is not really translatable into the the terms of the uh, spiritual reality uh, from before that temptation. Um, yeah, so we can we can connect this with this notion of. Uh, the trans individual not having a, a topological relation with the individual, um, or yeah, so you can't say that binocular vision is either inside or outside of monocular vision. I think that's a good um, analogy or a good example. Uh, so that in in binocular vision, we um, we sort of incorporate um, monocular vision, but it's not. Um, it's not something external to monocular vision. It's not a a, a separate reality. Um, so it it's neither within nor without um, uh, monocular. So let's go on to um, uh, the next bit. Um, would anyone else like to read, or should I uh, pick up again? Yeah, uh, yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, um, already. Yes, yeah, that's where we are. Uh, what makes use of already individuated reality, whether somatic or psych uh, psychical, cannot define uh, spirituality. Spiritual uh, significations are discovered on collective individuation and the foundation of the uh, trans individual. Like, is that a title? Like, or part of the text? Uh, I guess it's a title. Sorry. Uh, the level of the trans individual, not on the level of the of the uh, inter individual or the social, the um, individuated being bears with it a possible future of relational significations to be discovered. The pre individual is that which founds the spiritual and the collective. One could call nature this pre-individual reality uh, that the individual bears with it by seeking to rediscover in the word nature the significations that the pre-Socratic philosophers gave it. The Ionian uh, psycho uh, psychologists found in nature the origin of all types of being prior to individuation. Nature is the reality of the possible. In the form of this uh, aperion, from which uh, Anaximander makes every individuated form emerge. Nature is not the contrary of man, but the first phase of the being, while the second phase is the opposition of the individual and the milieu, the complement of the individual relative to the whole. According to the hypothesis uh, presented here, Aperon uh, would uh, remain on in the individual like a crystal that retains its mother liquor, and this uh, charge of uh, Aperon would allow it to go uh, toward a second individuation. 
However, unlike all the systems that grasp the collective as a joining of individuals and that think the group as a form for which individuals are the matter, this hypothesis uh, would not make individuals into the matter of the group. Individuals bearing apparent discover in the collective a signification which is expressed, for example, as the notion of destiny. The charge of apparent is the principle of disparation relative to the other charges of the same nature contained in other beings. The collective is an individuation that joins the natures that are born by several individuals but not contained in the already constituted individualities of these individuals. This is why the discovery of the collective signification is both transcendent and imminent relative to the interior individual. It is contemporaneous with the new group personality in which the individual participates through the significations that he discovers through its nature, but this nature is not uh, veritably the nature of its individuality. It is the nature associated with its individuated being. It is the persistence of the initial and original phase of the being in the second phase, and this persistence implies a tendency toward a third phase, which is that of the collective. The collective is an individuation of the natures linked to individuated beings. Uh, through this upround that it carries, the being is not just an individuated being, it is uh, the pair of the individuated being and of nature. Through this persistent nature, the being communicates with the world and with other individuated beings, discovering significations concerning which uh, it does not know whether they are a, a priori or a poster posteriori. Uh, the discovery of these significations is a, a posteriori, uh, for there must be an operation of individuation in order for these significations to appear, and the individuated being uh, cannot accomplish this whole operation of individuation alone. A presence must be created with some other being than the individuated being alone in order for individuation, the principle and milieu of, of signification, to be able to appear. But this appearance of signification also supposes a real a priori, the link to the subject of this charge of nature, the persistence of the being in its original pre-individual phase. The uh, individuated being is the bearer of an absolute true origin. Uh, signification is the corresp correspondence of the a priori and the individuation that come after the first. Example, the a posteriori individuation. Right, so here he, he, um, he gives us a few different um, synonyms or other terms to use for... Um, for this pre-individual reality. So he, he says we can call it nature um, or this aperon, um, and, and both terms are used in, in, um, in relation to pre-Socratic philosophy. So um, Anaximander um, has this notion of uh, the indefinite um, the aperon that everything, um, everything uh, definite, everything uh, determinate is sort of uh, uh, solidified out of this indefinite, um, and uh, and so it's this um, notion of of the indefinite or the the 
nature in this sense of um, something that is pre-individual that that he uh, is pointing to. Yeah, and so it's this it's this uh, pre-individual reality, this aperon within the individual or um, associated with the individual that um, forms the basis for further individuation and the formation of a collective. Um, so it's only because the individual has associated with it this um, charge of pre-individual reality uh, that that um, it can undergo collective individual. And then we have this interesting bit. Um, it's just a little bit of a, a hint of it here, but um, um, yeah. So we have the um, uh, this notion of a priori and a posteriori. Um, um, and he doesn't use the term here, but we we saw. Um, I think I was in the introduction as well. Um, he he uses the term a presenti for um, this notion of the the process of individuation um, and uh, transductive processes in general um, as as being a presenti. Um, and and so here he he is I think sort of hinting towards that same idea um, that that the process of uh, individuation is neither a priori nor a posteriori. It's not something that we sort of bring with us to experience, and it's not something that we derive from experience. It's the actual process. Um, it's the actual process of, uh, of the experience itself. Um, and then, uh, but he says there there is a, something a real a priori uh, which is um uh the the pre-individual reality um so this is something that precedes the existence of the individual um before any of us were formed there was this pre-individual reality out of which we end up being formed um and and so it's only because this pre-individual reality pre-exists uh the already formed individuals that uh, that those individuals are capable of having a, a relationship to the world around them and to other individuals. Yeah, and um, Angus has, has commented in the chat about how um, the section on, on reflexivity that we saw a few weeks ago, um, he, in that section, he, um, he talks about um, the future and the past, uh, and then this strange term, the dialectic, um, that he uh, picks up in that section. Um, and then the, the dialectic would be the, the presenti. Um, and um, this would be connected with the, um, the idea that knowledge requires the trans-individual. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's right. I think um, um, it's only because there's something uh, it's only because this pre-individual reality precedes our individual existence uh, and the existence of the associated milieu that we can have knowledge of the world around us um, or any relation to it at all, but knowledge in particular. Um, so it's because, it, it, in this sense, the the individual, uh, the pre-individual reality is uh, is a real a priori rather than uh, an a priori for knowledge alone. Um, so this is uh, what he means by calling it a real upright. Okay, so let's go on to the next uh, chapter, which is the last chapter of the book before the conclusion. Um, 
So I can read the next page or so. Chapter two, the collective as condition of signification. Section one, subjectivity and signification, the trans-individual character of signification. The existence of the collective is necessary for information to be significative. When the original charge of nature borne by the individual beings, by individual beings cannot be structured and organized, there can be no form in the being for accommodating the form contributed by signals. To receive an information is in fact for the subject to carry out within itself an individuation that creates the collective rapport with the being from which the signal arises. To discover the signification of the message that stems from one being or several beings is to form a collective with them and individuate through the group individuation with them. There's no difference between discovering a signification and existing collectively with the being relative to which the signification is discovered. Since signification is not of the being, but between beings, or rather across beings, it is trans-individual. The subject is the ensemble formed by the individuated individual and the apeiron that it carries along with it. The subject is more than individual. It is individual and nature. It is both phases of being at the same time. The subject tries to discover the signification of these two phases of being by resolving them in the trans-individual signification of the collective. The trans-individual is not the synthesis of the first two phases of being, since this synthesis could only occur in the subject in order to be rigorously synthetic. But the trans-individual is nevertheless the signification of these two phases, since the disparation that exists between the two phases of being contained in the subject is enveloped within signification via the constitution of the trans-individual. This is why it is absolutely insufficient to say that language is what allows man to access significations. If there were no significations to sustain language, there would be no language. Language is not what creates signification. It is merely what conveys between subjects and information, which, in order to become significative, must encounter this apeiron associated with the, indivi the definite individuality in the subject. Language is the instrument of expression, the conveyance of information, but it does not create significations. Signification is a rapport of beings, not a pure expression. Signification is relational, collective, trans-individual, and it cannot be provided by the encounter of expression in the subject. We can say that information is based on signification, but we cannot say that there are innate psychosomatic structures and dynamisms that constitute a mediation between the natural, the free individual phase, and the individuated. Sexuality is one such mediation. In a sense, it could be said that the fact of being sexuated for the individual is a part of individuation, and sexuality, in fact, could not exist if the psychosomatic distinction of individual did not exist. However, sexuality does not belong to the individual, is not its property, and requires the couple to have a signification. Sexuality is the pre-individual still linked to the individual, and is specified and dichotomized in order to be conveyed implicitly and psychosomatically by the individual. The dichotomy of the pre-individual allows for a larger integration of this pre-individual charge into the individual. Sexuality is more imminent to the individual than the pre-individual, which veritably remains an apeiron. Sexuality models the body and the soul of the individuated being, and it creates an asymmetry between the individuated beings qua individuals. Sexuality is at an equal distance between the apeiron of pre-individual nature and the limited, determined individuality. It establishes the inherence to limited individuated individuality, i.e. a relation to the unlimited. This is why it can be passed through in two directions, toward individuality and toward nature. It makes individuality and nature communicate. It is not true that sexuality is merely a function of the individual, since it is also a function that makes the individual. 
it will step out of. It is not a specific function. Individuation is therefore bimodal qua individuation, and yet it's precisely not an individuation completely achieved as individuation because it remains concretely bimodal. There is a halt in the path of individuation that allows for this bimodality to conserve the inheritance of a charge of apeiron. This translation of the unlimited into the limited protects the being from aseity and correlatively deprives it of complete individual individuation. In this way, it can be understood why this individual bimodality was able to be considered as a principle of dialectical ascension. Nevertheless, the myth of the hermaphrodite indeed remains a myth, for the hermaphrodite is bisexual rather than a complete individual. We can wonder if the rigorously unimodal individual can exist apart. In species where sexuality does not exist or is merely episodic for the ind individual, there are often gregarious forms of existence that mark a halt in individuation. With superior species, the inheritance of sexuality to the individual being creates the inheritance of a limit of individuation to the interior of the individual. Sexuality can be considered a psychosomatic imminence of pre-individual nature to the individuated being. Sexuality is a mixture of nature and of individuation. It is an individuation in suspense, arrested in the asymmetrical determination of the elementary collective, of the unified duality of the couple. Um, so we start out here with this notion of the collective as the, um, uh, the what do you call it here, the condition of signification. So um, there's only something like information uh, in the proper sense of the term, insofar as there's a, a collective individuation uh, between the transmitter and the receiver. Um, there's there's something like um, uh, so when when you know you, you can think of um, like a, a telegraph message I think is what he he's sort of thinking of this this type of transmission or a, a telephone communication or something like that um, you have a, a transmitter and a receiver um, but there's only something like information transmission in the proper sense uh, so something that can be incorporated into the functioning of the receiver. Uh, only, only under the condition that um, the the receiver and the transmitter undergo some sort of process of collective individuation, and so this requires, of course, that they they have this um, charge of the pre-individual within them or associated with them that allows for them to undergo a, a further process of individuation. And here he he. Um, he uses the term subject to refer to um, the ensemble of the individuated individual and the pre-individual reality. Um, so we have the subject, which is the individual and the pre-individual reality, and then the individual, which is um, uh, treating the, the individuated being as distinct from the uh, associated pre-individual reality. Uh, so the, the the subject and the individual are not um, synonyms. Um, and then we have this um, short bit about language, which uh, is language is, I think, a point, uh, a topic that Simondon um, says very little about, um, uh, which is kind of surprising um, given how interested he is in, in communication and information theory. Um, but... Uh, here he he argues um, very very briefly that language uh, can't be taken to be the the um, the 
ground of signification. Uh, language is something secondary. There has to be signification first before language can uh, can exist as something that um, allows for the expression of signification or the transmission of information. Um, so um, we can contrast this with um, some other notions of language, like in Heidegger, um, the famous line that language is the house of being. Um, and uh, um, this sort of more general idea that that language uh, has some sort of um, fundamental significance. Uh, Simon Dao is not really interested in language, um, and he sees it as, as something secondary. Uh, and it's um, um, it ha there has to be signification already for language to arise. And, uh, and then we get into this bit about sexuality, which is. Um, Something we've seen a little bit about before, but not uh, just sort of in um, uh, sort of brief passages throughout this part of the book, uh, or the the part on um, psychical individuation, and and then here on, on collective individuation. Um, and uh, we'll see in a little bit that he's going to contrast this with uh, with Freud's doctrine, um, and he's done this before as well, um, but. Um, Sexuality here uh, is is a sort of um, pre-individual reality that remains in the individual, or it's it's a sort of intermediate between the pre-individual reality outside the individual and the individual itself. Um, so there's within the individual, there sexuality, um, like sexuality is present within the individual. Uh, the individual is a, a sexuated being. Um, but uh, at the same time, it's something that uh, sort of surpasses the uh, the reality of the individual being. Um, and and there's this idea um, of incompleteness uh, that we we saw in the last chapter um, earlier today. This idea that human beings are in some sense essentially incomplete, um, and and. Here, Simondon is, is taking sexuality as one instance or one example of this uh, incompleteness, and he points to um, the myth from uh, from Plato's um, Symposium about how uh, this idea that human beings were originally um, hermaphroditic, so that uh, each each individual human being, as, as we are today. Uh, is a result of a, a splitting in two of uh, of human beings that were um, uh, originally hermaphroditic, um, and uh, Simondon uh, takes this myth as something like a uh, um, an indication of the incomplete incomplete nature of uh, human reality um, in relation to sexuality. Uh, and and how the the individual is only um, uh, completed in the couple. Um, so it's only with another person that um, sexuality becomes uh, sort of uh, completed or or realized in the the full sense. Of uh, okay, so let's go on to the next bit, and we can talk about Freud a little bit. Um, so if someone else would like to read from this is why sexuality. Yeah, I can read. This is why sexuality can be an introduction to the collective or a withdrawal based on the collective. 
and inspiration and incitation towards the collective. But it is not the collective, and it is also not spirituality, but the in- incitation to spirituality. Putting the being into movement, it informs the subject that it is not a closed individual, that it does not have a seity. Uh, there is sexuality, but it remains a metaxi and cannot be detached from the individuated being since it is deposited in its modality of individuation. Unlike Freud, we cannot identify sexuality with the very principle of the tendencies in the individuated being. The being also cannot be divided into two principles, that of pleasure and that of the death drives, as Freud attempted when he reworked his doctrine and modified it after the First World War. Freud felt that, the, that there is both the unity and a duality of the, indivi- of the individuated being, but the being can neither be interpreted according to pure unity nor according to pure duality. The difficulty of Freud's whole doctrine stems from the fact that the subject is identified with the individual and that sexuality is placed in the individual as something that the individual contains and includes. However, sexuality is a modality of the the initial individuation rather than a content of the actual individual. It is organized or is not organized in its ontogenetic development with what we have called nature and the subject such that it becomes individualized or on the contrary is linked to the world and to the group. Uh, Pathogenesis should be linked to a conflict between the modality of individuation in the form of sexuality and the charge of pre-individual reality that is the subject that is in the subject without being included in the individual. But it is in, it is indeed certain that the fulfillment of desires satisfaction of tendencies and the relaxation of all the tensions of the sexuated being do not harmonize the individual with itself and do not halt the the pathogenic conflict within the subject between the modality of individuation and nature. Neither the study of the individual alone nor the study of social integration alone can account for pathogenesis. It is the subject who is ill, not the individual alone. For there is within the subject a conflict between nature and the individual. The only path of resolution is the subject's discovery of significations due to which the collective and that which is individual can be harmonized and develop in a synergistic way. Goldstein appropriately remarks that the normal state of the drives is not resolution, flat, calm, but a certain median tension that applies them to the world and attaches them to their object. The subject can find its its fulfillment in its equilibrium, neither in the pure individual facing itself and its given reality, nor in the insertion into the empirical social. Freud and Karen Horney have generalized two borderline cases. Mental pathology is on the level of the trans-individual. It appears when the discovery of the trans-individual is lacking, i.e. when the charge of nature that is in the subject with the individual cannot encounter other charges of nature and other subjects with which it could form a trans-individual mode of signification. The pathological relation to others is one that lacks significations and dissolves into the neutrality of things. 
thus leaving life without polarity. The individual then feels itself becoming an insular reality, improperly crushed or falsely triumphant and dominant. The subject seeks to link the individual being to a world that loses its signification. The trans-individual relation of signification is replaced by the power, powerless relation of the subject to neutral objects, some of whom are his peers. With fate analysis, Sandi uh, has indeed found this aspect of has indeed found this aspect of nature that there is in the subject. But this aspect must also be found in cases where no definite pathogenic forces appear. There is still some pre-individual reality that has guided the subject to its, in its positive choices. Indeed, choice is not merely the activity of that which is entirely individuated in the subject. Choice supposes the individuation of a part of non-individuated nature. For choice is the discovery of a relation of the being through which the subject is constituted in a collective unity. Choice is not the control of a neutral object by a dominant subject, but the individuation that intervenes in a charged pre-individual ensemble formed by two or several subjects. Um, choice is the discovery and institution of the collective. It has a self-constitutive value. It takes several masses of pre-individual nature for choice to be fulfilled. Choice is not an act of the subject alone. It is the structuration in the subject with other subjects. The subject is the milieu of choice as well as an agent of this choice. Ontologically, every true choice is reciprocal and supposes an operation of individuation deeper than a communication of consciousnesses or an intersubjective relation. Choice is a collective operation, a group formation, a trans-individual reality. So we see here again um, his, his criticism of psychoanalysis. Um, and he, he raises two points, um, two different uh, topics where he feels like psychoanalysis is, is sort of insufficient. Um, so on the one hand, um, or the first point is that uh, in psychoanalysis, he thinks that there's a, an improper assimilation of the individual and the subject. Um, um, there's um, a sort of, um, uh, the, the way that Freud um, treats the drives as being part of the individual um, sort of minimizes the um, um, the role of the pre-individual reality in the subject um, for Simon Don. Um, and then the, the second point is um, um, right, uh, so it's this notion that the um, or, or this argument that the, the drives, the uh, for Freud, there's this idea of drives as seeking equilibrium, or um, um, uh, a drive consists in a sort of tension that the subject tries to um, tries to minimize or eliminate. Um, and for Simon Don, um, we instead have to think of um, drives or the the pre-individual reality within the subject as something that. Um, has a, a sort of 
uh, constant tension. Um, so it's only it's only through this tension that there's something like a relation to an object for the drives, um, and um, the the con the condition of minimization of tension would be one of uh, of uh, would be a pathological condition would be something close to death um, rather than being like what the uh, the drive is is sort of aimed towards. Uh, so these are the the two sort of criticisms that um, that uh, Simondo makes of, of psychoanalysis. Um, this um, fade analysis that that Sandi um, has uh, developed that Simondo points to here is something I, I don't really know anything about. Um, but um, yeah, this idea that it's a, a one of the most discredited personality tests is is kind of funny. Um, I uh, I think personality stuff is is in general pretty low quality in uh, in psychology. Um, I think uh, uh, there tends to be like pretty. Um, um, it, it's it's hard to um, like make good sense of what what it means to say that you know there's a difference of personality between people and and to make that like a, a rigorous. Um, distinction uh but um yeah so i'm not sure what exactly simondon is drawing from sandy or what he sees as being valuable in that um um but um i think i think there's something um when he talks about the uh pathogenic um Capacity, pathogenic aspects or or um, properties that appear in the subject. Um, he's he's arguing here that um, the what is pathogenic is not strictly limited to the individual, but includes the individual's relation to um, the pre-individual reality uh, within the subject that it forms. So there's. Um, uh, the the formation of a, a pathology of a neurosis or some other um, pathological condition uh, has to do not not just with the um, what's already in or already constituted in the individual but also with the pre-individual reality associated with them uh, and then we have this bit about choice which is um, kind of obscure I think but. I think it has to do with the reality, or uh, with the idea that um, in uh, something like personality or um, uh, the the there's a sort of choice of a of a personality or a selection of a personality out of a um, a possible set of personalities, um, so that there's something like. Um, uh, it's only it's only a choice in the proper sense if um, there's something like uh, a, a process of individuation that happens. Um, so I think like when we when we think about choice in sort of, sort of standard psychological experiments, it would be something like you know you have to choose whether to press the blue button or the red button or something uh, equally meaningless, um, and uh, um, for Simono, this is not um, 
a, a, a true representation of what choice consists in, um, because there's no actual process of individuation happening in in this sort of um, minimal case. Yeah, and there's um, the idea of uh, some sort of um, collective role in um, dealing with pathology. Um, so dealing with something like a neurosis, um, I think. I think. Um, this is something that we can point to other societies as having something like this in a way that ours doesn't really. Um, so um, individual pathology uh, in in our society is, is treated precisely as individual pathology as as something that um, the individual is supposed to deal with in a in a um, sort of isolated way. Um, Whereas other societies have um, um, oh, okay, in relation to choice, uh, interesting. Um, I was thinking of it in in relation to um, um, uh, the the resolution of uh, of a neurosis. but uh, yeah, I think I mean both side both questions are are connected in the sense that um, it's only because there's something like a collective in which the individual, can um, undergo further processes of individuation that something like a resolution of um, of a neurosis is possible. Um, so it's, if the individual were sort of left to uh, its own resources, it wouldn't have um, uh, it wouldn't have this this possibility of um, uh, resolving a neurosis. This description of the failure of signification, um, how he talks about how the individual kind of falls in on itself. Sounds like the discussion of anxiety earlier. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, these are similar types of cases where the individual is sort of left to its own devices um, rather than rather than having uh, a relationship with other individuals or with uh, a trans-individual reality. Um, and, and so... Uh, in these conditions, um, they're sort of uh, experienced by the the individual or, or by the the subject as being um, uh, experiences that are painful and uh, ones that you don't want to um, remain in. Uh, so there's um, this this sense of isolation or of um, of being left on your own uh, as a, a sort of absence of signification, um, I think, is is one that uh, um, human beings in general are are not fond of, uh, and that we tend to try to avoid. Um, and and so this is a, another another side of that incompleteness of the human being that uh, that we've been seeing throughout this uh, part of the book. Um, we're just about out of time. Maybe we have time for. What, oh, uh, did we did we finish the um, the subsection? Did we get to the end of the subsection or or not? I can't remember. Oh no, it stopped. I didn't realize it was. Yeah, it was just one. It was paragraph. just one paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's read that one paragraph and then see okay. what uh, what comes up. So I'll read the last bit here. Thus, the subject more so than the individual is implicated in choice. Choice occurs on the level of subjects and involves the constituted individuals within the collective. 
Choice is therefore the advent of the being. It is not simple relation. It then would be more appropriate to study it uh, to study if there are modes of the pre-individual, i.e., the different aspects of nature that subjects include. The aperon is perhaps undetermined only with respect to the individuated being. There are perhaps various modalities of the undetermined, which would explain why specific cases specific cases and specific tensions are required for the birth of the collective and in order to have a certain number of chances of stability in all cases. One could perhaps define in this way classes of a prioris in possible significations, categories of potentials, stable pre-relational bases. The concepts to carry out such a study are lacking. Um, so yeah, you're, he's suggesting here that this pre-individual reality might not be um, something strictly undetermined, um, but um, there, there would be some sort of determination of, uh, there, there would be different kinds of pre-individual reality. Um, and um, there would be uh, some sort of um, basis for different kinds of significations or different kinds of potentials um, that, that could appear in different um, different individuals or different uh, collectives. I was kind of thinking this, maybe this could be an answer to the distinction between the different aspects of the trans individual is these different uh, kinds of pre-individual shares, I guess, that create different kinds of collective. Yeah, that's an interesting suggestion. Um, it's, it's hard to say because he, uh, like he says here that the concepts to, to carry out such a study are lacking. Like he, he thinks that we're sort of, we don't have uh, a way of talking about these um, different kinds of pre-individual reality. Um, and I think th this could be sort of related to what, uh, what I was, was talking about earlier about how personality studies are, are um, pretty hard to, to perform in, in a, a rigorous way. So um, if, if there is something like a difference, uh, a different set, different kinds of pre-individual reality that uh, sort of underlies the formation of different individuals, different um, personalities and different collectives, um, then it would, this lack of concepts would sort of make itself known through the, the difficulty of performing um, personality study in a, in a rigorous way. Yeah, MBTI types or uh, Enneagram. Um, I like this thing about the, yeah, so there's something, um, the missing astrology link maybe, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, that, that sort of brings to mind there was, um, it, I mean, it's completely unrelated, but there was, um, at some point, I think it was in the 90s, um, there was someone who did a, a thesis, this woman did a, a thesis at a French university um, trying to demonstrate that astrology was real, and it had all these, like, fake Einstein quotes in it and, and everything, like, nice. it was, yeah, so there was a big, like, when this became sort of, um, public knowledge, there was a big controversy about the fact that she was able to get a PhD, like, about how astrology is real, um, which is kind of disconcerting. But, yeah. That's encouraging. If, if you, you know, I, I've thought about maybe trying to 
get a graduate degree at some point. Yeah, you can just use fake Einstein quotes and, and it'll be easy. There you go. Okay, so let's um, let's end here for today and we'll pick up from page 348 next time. Let me write that down so I don't forget. Okay, so thank you everyone. Uh, and um, we might be able to finish, yeah, I think we should finish the, uh, the chapter next time and possibly start on the conclusion. Um, so we're, oh, actually, maybe before we go, one thing that I was going to mention, um, I, um, I've been working on this translation of um, uh, a text that may be of interest to, um, well, possibly of interest. Um, so uh, there's these two French philosophers of mathematics, um, Albert Lotman and uh, Jean Cavaillès. Um, Lotman was someone that uh, Deleuze um, cites pretty frequently in, in uh, Difference and Repetition. Um, uh, and anyway, they did uh, a joint presentation at um, um, the Société de Philosophie Française in 1939, and I've been um, translating that that text. Um, so their presentation and the discussion afterwards. Um, so I was uh, going to suggest after we finish the um, first volume of Individuation, maybe we can um, take. Uh, a break of like maybe one or two weeks to get through the um, the uh, to take a look at that translation and uh, hopefully I can get some feedback if there's any points that are like not clear or something like that uh, if other people would be interested in in reading that text sure that oh, sounds great cool. to me cool so yeah what's um, the name of the text uh, the text is just called La Pensée Mathématique um, so mathematical thought, um, um, but it's um, I can I can post the uh, the link to the French one, uh, the French text um, uh, in the chat afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, we'll we'll finish the first volume uh, in the next couple weeks. Uh, the conclusion is a little bit long, so it might take a couple sessions to get through it, um, and then we can look at that translation. Sounds great. Cool. Okay. So, um, it's, yeah, uh, it's mathematics. Yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, philosophy of math. Um, so they they have uh, so Lotman and, and Cavallas have um, sort of different um, approaches to philosophy of math, but uh, Lotman is the one that I'm more interested in. Um, he has a, a sort of Platonic. Um, philosophy of math. Um, he he thinks that there's um, uh, in in mathematics there's a, a sort of realization of a dialectic of ideas. Um, so these ideas of like the whole and the part, or um, structure and existence. Um, these ideas are realized in mathematical theories, uh, and and so he he tries to. Um, show the the presence of these ideas in different mathematical theory. interesting that's a little spinozist yeah uh yeah um well definitely Cavallas is is more spinozist than than lotman but um i think um there's a a, a spinoza connection with lotman as well but yeah we can uh, we can take a look at that in a couple weeks when we finish the first volume uh and um yeah we can 
see how, how my translation holds up. That sounds great. And see you all next week. See you too.